The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Welcome to One Hour at a Time. This is John McAndrew and I'm your guest host today. And I'm glad to be here with a a, a very exciting guest, a very compelling guest and her name is Velvet Mangan. She's the CEO and founder of Safe Harbor Treatment Center for Women in Southern California. And Velvet has been a uh, activist in the recovery community, focusing on the healing and well-being of young women. And she's incorporated her experience and knowledge of uh, women suffering in addiction and her mission, and ultimately her sense of purpose. And uh, Velva continues to change the stigma and barriers that women face day-to-day in recovery. And Velva, I want to welcome you, and it's very nice to meet you. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that welcome. Um, Your story is very, very compelling, and uh, I would like our listeners to know that um, you've been very active, and it says you're a transformational figure in these efforts and, uh, you know, focusing on women. And you've been on Dr. Phil and and you've been out in the community, recovery community, talking about this for years. And I think, the, for me, the most compelling thing sometimes when people tell a story is that it's their story. Um, and, you know, your story is, is awfully, uh, it's incredible. And I can see why you've been put on this earth, you know, to help women in recovery. And could you share a little bit of your story with our listeners about how you got to the point where you opened uh, Safe Harbor? Sure. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about my past so that um, we can kind of get to the the story. Uh It didn't happen until seven years into my own recovery process, and I was a 23-year-old young girl when I started Safe Harbor so you can see it's well beyond my scope of qualifications. So um, it's quite a quite the little service that it that um, serves young women. But um, uh-huh. so I started my own journey when I was 15 years old. Um, I come from a very addictive mother, um, very addicted family. Uh, my mother was um, addicted to speed. So my whole life was one of anxiety and depression, and um, my dad was married to another woman and had um, had another family, so I had massive confusion and chaos in my life when I was a young girl and um, just a little small child and didn't understand what was going on and didn't make much sense of anything, but mm-hmm. and, um, and ended up getting this horrific anxiety disorder to where when my mom would take me to school, I would vomit and shake and 
um, cry, and so she'd have to come pick me up, and my whole fear was that she was going to die, and I'm sure that was an intuitive feeling because she was so addicted to drugs, and I right. felt like I was the only source of security she had, so my I didn't have much of a childhood, and so when I became around nine years old, I um, was introduced to beer. Um, my cousin Dee Dee and I went up to the liquor store with a note from my mom saying, you know, um, can you get some alcohol, um, some uh, cigarettes? And so we added beer on there, and right. I had my first drink of beer when I was nine, and drank the, you know, probably around three beers, and she drank three beers, and I felt more comfortable than I had felt in my whole life. So at that point, I really decided that I was going to use as much alcohol as I could find. And so that's when my alcohol uh, abuse began. I I took to it like um, like it was uh, like I was dying of thirst. So yeah, Shazam, huh? Yeah, it was very comforting <laughs> for my anxiety disorder. And you were nine years old at I that time. Nine years old, yes. Wow. And um, but it wasn't an abnormal event. Alcoholism and drug addiction was such a common thing in my family, so it it didn't appear to be anything, you know, bad. So I just did it and did it often. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, drugs became a part of of that story, and did what I could do as far as drugs, and became very addicted to drugs and alcohol, and went to schools. Um, in L.A., they started to interrace us. So I was um, interraced in different school districts. Um, every three months, I would go to a different school. And so education and my anxiety disorder, on top of that, made it to where I was illiterate and couldn't read or write. And every oh, wow. class I went to, I still had the same little uh, crossword puzzle that I would do. And, you know, I just... At that time, schools just didn't really didn't really matter so much. Were you able to hide that, or did you have some way to? I didn't really have to hide it. They kept passing me. Wow. Yeah, I was in the special needs classes right away. I was in the special needs classes in the third grade because of my anxiety disorder, and um, so that was kind of just my norm. And I just I, I I would try to learn, but I just would have so much anxiety. I just could not learn. So I, my whole life, I felt like I was really stupid, and, right. um, illiterate, and just unable to be like normal kids. And so, you know, I I just became a bad girl and a fighter. And um, growing up in L.A. and the different, you know, interracing was their um, intention. So I would go to really bad neighborhoods, and so fear was just an enormous part of my life. Right. Uh, right. So um, when I um, became a teenager. Um, well, actually, I wasn't a teenager yet. I was only 10. And um, I um, was... Um, uh, my dad, his wife, found out about my mom, and so she kicked him out. So we ended up moving to San Clemente. And um, it was just a real traumatic time in his life, but yet a real happy time for me because I was happy to have him. And um, so life was kind of good. And... Life was different. My mom wasn't so drugged out, and um, things were getting better, and I was acting better. And, and um, then it was um, I was about 14 years old, and I'm still doing drugs. We moved to Huntington Beach, so from L.A. to Orange County. Mm-hmm. And 
he, um, my dad died of a massive heart attack. Um, he dropped me off at high school, my second day of high school, and then went down to the beach and died of a massive heart attack. And then my mom tried to kill herself about three days later. So, Oh, gosh. What, yeah. what was your age then? I was 14. So those are two awful dramatic yeah. experiences, aren't they? Right back yeah. to back. So they put her in a mental institution. And at that point, that's when I became homeless. So I was homeless at the age of 14 and just really dove into as much drug addiction as I could. Mm-hmm. Um, my, um, you know, my life was really just dark as it could be. And so I used drugs and drank, uh, you know, real hardcore and barely ate for till I was about 15, almost 16 years old. I was a month away from 16 years old, and I decided that the pain was just way too great. So I I wanted to take my life because I just felt like I, you know, here I was, illiterate, um, unlovable, a throwaway, and lost on this planet living in a car. And just the devastation inside of me was just way too great. So um, at that point, I wrote a letter to God and uh, was trying to convince God that if if I could just take my life, that he wouldn't send me to hell, that he would have mercy on me. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Where did you mail that to, Elvis? I didn't mail it. I just wrote it in a little notebook because my great-aunt Eleanor told me that God really hears it when you write it. So uh-huh. I wrote this little letter. and Oh, beautiful. And I had a bottle of Vicodin, I mean, sorry, Valium and um, Captain Morgan's, and I had a plan, and... The thought came to me to just say goodbye to Coach White, who was my special needs teacher, and he was also the football coach. And so I passed out that night in the school parking lot, and um, the next morning I went to say goodbye to Coach White, and he had uh, an incredible reaction to me. He he started to cry when he saw me because he hadn't seen me in months, and I was really emaciated and black eyes and just, you know, really mm-hmm. dark. And, and um, he grabbed me and decided that he was going to take me to a place called the Stop-In Center on campus, which I didn't know what that was. I thought he was taking me to the foster care. And so I started screaming and biting him. And You didn't want to go to foster care, did no, you? No, I did not want to go to yeah. foster care. I'd rather die than go to foster care. Yeah. So um, he took me to a place... Um, on campus that they were having 12-step meetings and um, broke in or, like, busted in the door panic-like and threw me in the middle of the room and was, you know, saying, can you help her? She needs help. And, wow. Yeah. And he's Coach still, White. Day says he doesn't know what came over him, but I know it was the prayer that I said and, you know, just his heart. He was a good a good man and he cared for his his little kids in his class and and so he took that extra special time with me and basically saved my life. And all those people got down on the ground with me and convinced me that they weren't going to cause harm to me and that they were just going to help me. Mm-hmm. And my um, a friend uh, that I had known in school was um, suggested that I come to his house. So I came to his house and spent the night with his family and then the next day went to a young people's meeting, and it was uh, the beginning of my recovery. What year was that? 1986. 1986. You know, 
as as the listeners are um, listening to your story, and I am, and I think, oh my God, what else could um, go wrong? How much more do you have to put up with as a young woman? But your story is not uncommon, is it, Velvet? Is no, that what you found? Yeah, it's not uncommon at all. Um, yeah. Maybe the particulars are unique, but the you know the feeling of worthlessness and throwaway and the anxiety disorders and the fear. Mm-hmm. It's um, incredibly common, and most young women are, you know, when they have these disorders nowadays, are, are highly medicated, and, and uh, you know, I'm sure if there was medication back then, I would have been put on a lot of medications. And, and, right, right. When we come back, I'm going to talk a little bit more about Safe Harbor, and and we'll talk a little bit more as well about this term dual diagnosis, you know, people with mental illness and substance abuse issues. And we come back, we'll be talking with Velvet Mangan again. Thank you. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. There are a number of health and social services available to individuals for low cost or no cost. Now there's a radio program devoted to bringing you the information you need. Tune in to Outreach Today with host Melissa Jenkins-Simon. Our program promotes the benefits and services of CI Incorporated, providing health and social services over a wide spectrum of resources and agencies. We want to help you. Tune in to Outreach Today, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. This is John McAndrew. I'm your guest host today, and we've been speaking with Velvet Mangan. And she's the CEO and founder of Safe Harbor Treatment Centers for Women in Southern California. And Velvet has shared uh, much of her story uh, as a young woman. And uh, she kind of got up to age 16 in her first suicide attempt. And she told us about Coach White, who was, uh, I think, uh, fair to say, her first little angel that came and Mm-hmm. Into your life was that a good description of Coach White? Yes. What was he like? Can you tell us a little more about him? Oh, well, you know, being a football coach, he's um, you know, he's he's a very dedicated individual, and um, just uh, kind and loving and passionate and very forthright, and uh, he's just poised and 
just a gift, and I still get to see Coach White and get to talk to Coach White. And they've even made the experience uh, of Coach White an example of what you know we'd, they'd like their teachers to, how they'd like their teachers to intervene on the kids. Uh huh. You know. So. And you uh, you told me about writing your letter to God, and then the following day you were planning on just checking out, you decided to go talk to Coach White. Yeah. Um, you must have had some sort of, in hindsight, some sort of sense that this person uh, had a big heart and cared about you. Yeah, I figured he was, I knew he was the only one that loved me. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, he was uh, somebody that saw something past, all my conditions, and he always was so kind and generous to me and his interactions, and I always felt very special with Coach White. So for some reason, God made it very clear to go say goodbye to Coach White because I wouldn't want to upset Coach White. Yeah. So this fork in the road came, if, uh, you know, that's an analogy. Yeah. And you took his hand, and he got you to um, a place where people could help you and uh, maybe continue the story there. You're 16, and, and you found... Um, sobriety is that right for the I first time? Every yeah. year. So what ha- what happened from there? Well, um, I meet another angel named Dave Regal, who um, at that point uh, decides Dave Regal and Bill Crutcher, who both decide that I'm not an illiterate um, lost soul. They find that uh, you know they convince me that I'm not you know. Uh, stupid and unable, and so they take me to, um, first uh, Bill took me to a place called General Relief, where I would get some support, and um, he also took me to Social Security, where my mom was taking my Social Security money. Uh He got me my Social Security money so that I could live, um, gave me a home to live in, and all I had to do was clean his house once a week, and he rented me a room for that. Wow. Yeah, Stuff I mean, that a just, family would do, right? Yeah, exactly. Miracle after miracle. And then Dave took me to Department of Rehabilitation where I learned how to read and write with all the immigrants. And I was able to become a cosmetologist after 10 months of learning how to uh, read and write. Then I went to cosmetology school. and Holy smokes. Yeah. I mean, this was all, this process was all because of people loving me and really, truly believing in me. And having this this really strong devotion towards helping me, and for the first time in my life, I felt like I mattered and that I was loved and that I could. Right. And you talked about your alcohol and drug abuse, and also about your mental health issues. And in today's environment in the recovery world, uh, the term dual diagnosis is used a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, many people that get into recovery find out perhaps later after they leave their treatment, 30, 60, 90 days, that they have some issues with uh, depression or anxiety and some even, you know, schizophrenia, bipolar, more. You um, had some serious mental health issues. So how did you, um, I would consider you an expert on this, Hmm. Seeing as though you got it, yeah. Um, how did you uh, treat both of those illnesses, and and uh, who helped you get through that maze? 
Well, just simply, you know, the first part was taking the alcohol and drugs away was a huge part in leveling off my um, my imbalance with uh, chemicals. So mm-hmm. it took some of the edge off with my anxiety, um, being mindful about the way I, I ate and uh, the way I, you know, was conscious about the kind of caffeine I put in my body and this kind of thing. So... It was just kind of the simple basics that people taught me right away because I wasn't the only one that suffered from anxiety and depression. And there was a huge, I was deeply depressed because I felt um, a lot of grief about my dad being dead and a lot of grief about my mom being in, locked up in and out of locked up right. um, asylums. And, and so, and just the depression of who I was and the, the hurdles that I had to, overcome, overwhelmed me greatly. So uh, I was taught, you know, just to take one little baby step at a time and that before I knew it, I would be over the, over the hill. And so I had to be very coaxed into just simply breathing and taking it one step at a time because, like I said, I had to live with my anxiety. I could not medicate my anxiety um, because mm-hmm. that wasn't going to work for me because I was a drug addict. So I had to learn how to emotionally, spiritually, and physically handle the anxiety and the depression that I had, which is a chemical imbalance in many ways put on by triggers of trauma. And, um, yep. you know, sometimes I think that my awarenesses have become really clear that when I'm triggered in trauma, I'll get you know, a uh, PTSD experience where my hands sweat and I, you know, start to shake and this type of thing. And I now know what it is where I'm not panicked anymore. Right. So I think just becoming aware of who you are and not shaming yourself. And I have less and less of those experiences because I'm not terrified of them anymore. Right. And in the field, they, you know, they... CBT and DBT are used by professionals. Yes. And they're also used by non-professionals, but I think a lot of time we don't realize that what we're doing uh, when you talk about mindfulness. And mm-hmm. when was the first time that you realized that you could use those tools? Did you get help? Did you have professionals help you? Actually, how, I how did, did that not happen? have the resources um, in the early stages of my sobriety, but there were other people that um, that had used those resources that taught me how to breathe, taught me meditation techniques, taught me, um, you know, how to uh, just soothe myself um, with prayer. So um, I know that they had gotten therapy and they had been blessed to have more resources than me, but I, I was just um, not able at that time, but there were many people that taught me. So indirectly, that message was passed on to you, wasn't it? Absolutely. And then yeah, as I a, got what older... What a beautiful thing. Yeah. And as I got older, then I started to use, utilize the resources when I could afford them. And, um, you know, but in the beginning stages, it was just the blessings of others who had gone before me. Uh-huh. When did the... When was the seed planted in your head that... Um, I can help other women that are like me, and how can I do this? When did when did that get started and the idea um, for the safe harbor for women? 
Well, the idea for Safe Harbor was um, definitely not my idea. I was a hairdresser, like I said. I was a lousy hairdresser. Um, <laughs> no many, not many people came back twice. Um, I tried really hard, but I wasn't that great at it. But uh, I had achieved my licensure, and I had done something for the first time in my life. So for me, that was an incredible experience. But I was um, 23 years old. I there was an epidemic of young girls being violated in um, just kind of going to Alano clubs and, and needing help and then meeting up with um, men that were inappropriate. And there was four different um, Alano clubs that had this problem. And so as a board member, I was a board member of the Alano club. And an Alano mm-hmm. club is where uh, people meet for 12-step meetings. And... Um, so we came together and were wondering how we were going to make our Milano Club more safe. And I, you know, it dawned on me that there was absolutely nothing for women. There was plenty of places for men, but you know, very, very few places for women. So this is in 1993, and and um, so this thought, this really strong urge, came to me that that I needed to help somebody open something up for women so that they would have a safe place to be and a safe place to grow and to, you know, that they would have the same, you know, rights and experiences and abilities as men in the recovery mm-hmm. world. And so I had asked a few of my wealthy friends if they would help me, you know, get a treatment center or a sober living together or something. And basically what I got from them was women are too high maintenance and there's no money in it. And Oh, boy. Yeah, which astonished me because I didn't understand what they were talking about because it wasn't about money and it was about loving these women and getting a safe place for them, which the men had done for the men. And I was just really confused. And so I couldn't get anyone to help me. And um, one day a thought came to me that I should ask a stranger to help me. And so I um, looked in the uh, newspaper and there was a two-bedroom for rent right uh, in front of a bus line and walking distance from the Alano Club. And I figured this house would be perfect if I could convince the owner to give it to me because at this point my husband's the cable man. We have two small kids. I'm 23 years old and I don't have any extra money. Uh-huh. So um, I ask this stranger, I tell him my, my vision and my thought and that I want to create this place for women and he says, that's a beautiful idea. Why don't you come down and fill out an application and see if we can, you know, get you this this house. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I think he's going to give it to me. And so I went down there and filled out the application and met him, and he was just a wonderful human being, and I was thought for sure he was going to do it. And so he, um, I went home after I filled out the application, and he called me back about an hour later and said, well, I would love to do it for you, and what I can do is I can just waive the deposit um, oh gosh! Yeah, but um, should we? Well, your third your third angel has showed up, and I think we'll when we come back. We're speaking with Velvet Mangan, who's the CEO of Safe Harbor Treatment Centers for Women. I'd like to give that website. It's www.safeharborhouse.com, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tung has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Your life, your health, your network. This is Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. And again, we're talking to Velvet Mangan, and she has told us... um, a lot about her story um, from the time she was 16 and uh, found recovery. And she's 23 years old now. We've heard about her first angel, Chuck White, the coach, and then Dave came along. And you were telling us about this third angel, and I guess we're just going to call him Stranger Angel, mm-hmm. who helped to uh, kind of get the foundation for the safe harbor for you and uh, maybe uh, continue with that story. Okay, so he told me if I could come up with the, uh, if he told me if I could come up with $800 that he would waive the deposit and pay, I could pay it in increments, but at that point, $800 seemed like a million dollars. Um, yeah. I didn't have $800, so again, I was disappointed but grateful that he had even considered me and, um, but really just at that point when I got off the phone with him, I was really sad. I was just, you know, I felt so, uh, defeated. Like when am I, I keep having this vision and I know it's from God and I don't know how I'm supposed to fulfill this vision. And, and my husband at the time came home and, um, I told him about everything that had happened that day. And he said, you're not going to believe it. A guy offered me $800 today to buy my van. Oh my goodness. Yeah. And he said, you know, there's. I told. I believe in this vision. I believe in your you, the way you work with women. I believe in your calling, and we're going to sell the van. And um, sold that van, and within a week there was um, four girls in that house. Um, the house was like as soon as anybody heard what had happened. I had furniture donated. I had pots and pans, and I mean, and then the house was filled with four young women sitting at the table that I had envisioned them sitting there drinking coffee and just getting ready for work and feeling safe and just having oh, wow. a place. 
So Was that scary? I was so scared. I had no idea what I was going to do or how I was going to pay for it or I only knew that it was supposed to happen. I only knew that I was supposed to do it. I just didn't know how I was going to do it or manage it or 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 contain it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I I'd only had what we had, and that was all we had. And at this point, we're, we're down one car, and um, you know, we went all in. And yep. um, yeah. but I knew it was the vision, so I I went with the vision. I I less, but my husband at the time knew more as far as he felt really conviction that it was God's calling for me. Um, uh-huh. So I went with what he said, and, um, you know, I had a lot of trial and error. I mean, I was only 23 years old. I had to learn how to manage their house and pay for it and um, figure out how to pay for itself. And mm-hmm. But I'll tell you, it is now... Um, and then, um, you know, when you love something so much, you know, I loved those women so much. I loved what I was doing so much that everything I needed, needed to know was revealed to me. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, I just kind of went with that and I just consistently took it to a higher place and knew that it was not me and that, uh, that it was, I was, you know, supposed to serve in a, selfless way and um, do the best I could to create an atmosphere that I knew would heal. So Safe Harbor has evolved, you know, constantly, and now it's a 100-bed facility um, specializing in trauma, eating disorders, um, self-esteem, love addiction, codependency, because this was, I found, were the, the other addictions haunting the, the sober woman. So I would, you know, we would get sober and then all those traumas and all the dysfunctional thinking would now manifest again. And so then the sabotage would come and it was very hard to manage and maintain that sobriety. Yes, yes. So I just tried, I have tried really hard to create a place that I knew would be of maximum service to the whole woman, the spiritual, the physical, the emotional and, you know, so many times women come from a place of fear of other women, and when they find that true ultimate love with each other, that really heals so much of the emotional despair that they have already. Right. Um, so the healings are just constant, and it's, it's, you know, we have a saying, it's called stay in the love, because it's kind of you know, common for women to feel in competition with one another because, you know, the mass media is constantly telling us we're not enough, not pretty enough, we're not good enough, we're never enough. So, you know, you take the alcohol and drugs away and that thinking just becomes really loud. And so it's really hard to manage and, and feel comfortable in your own body. So if you don't have a spiritual experience, um, and really learn how to change those tapes, and learn how to love one another. Right. You really can't manage the 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 ego, which is the upset, you know, in the mind. And so it's really important to me that the women feel that they are so loved and that they're so valued and that they matter at such a level that they don't they can't even comprehend just the way that the people in my life saw such meaning in me that mm-hmm. it transformed every belief I had about myself. Wow. So you started with four. 
Yeah, for, for women, women, which was your vision of, I kind of see you finally sitting at this kitchen table with a family that you kind of always wanted. Yes. Uh, or your sisters. You yes. Know. And there you are, and now it's grown in to a hundred beds, and, and um, I'm pretty sure that this place is drawing a lot of energy and a lot of people, a lot more angels. Yes. In there to help these women yes. with you, but they also feel safe, don't they, to have mental health issues, all the things you're talking about. Yes, we have. With this, they feel safe to come there. Oh, how many? Absolutely. How many? Uh, you have other professionals and employees yes. there, I'm sure. We have DBT therapists. We have EMDR therapists. We have a, yeah. our doctor. Our, our medical doctor is an Eastern and Western medicine doctor. Mm-hmm. We have um, a psychodramatist. We have two psychodramatists because that psychodrama was where I really started to um, find uh, a lot of recovery for my trauma. So I really believe in psychodrama. Tion Dayton was uh, has written uh, our entire curriculum for our trauma track. Very good. Um, she's amazing, and uh, so what has happened is that all these people have come for the intention, which the intention is for the highest good for all of these women so that they may find their their true place on this planet and really, really be authentic in that because yeah. that's what it's all about is, is that finding out that there was really nothing wrong with them to begin with, that they just had a distorted sense of self that <laughs> lied to them and told them how, you know, how messed up they were. Yeah. But they're really perfect and complete. They just forgot it. We yeah. also have Reverend Arlene, um, who is an agape minister. Um, it, and I don't know if you've ever heard of agape, but it's in Culver yeah. City with Reverend Michael Beckwith. Mm-hmm. And it's um, an all-inclusive, um, all religions. And so uh, she works full-time with the women. And so they're, they're not only getting, you know, therapy, they're getting spiritual, they're getting mind, mind body, and and spiritual, that we have a chef there that does only spa food. Um, I don't believe oh, in... What an amazing community. That's, yeah. oh. I just don't believe in getting women, you know, um, feeding them, you know, heavy carbohydrates and having them gain a bunch of weight and calling myself a treatment center because the bottom line is that I'm there to help them with all of their 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 being, not just, you know, part of their being. In the recovery field, it seems that this term integrated uh, really makes a lot of sense. Um, Integrating, well, dual diagnosis, the mental health and substance abuse, um, physical care, exercise, diet, um, all those things. It's sometimes it's the simplest things, um, learning how to brush your teeth and stay clean and fold your clothes, you know. Yes. you know, in your story, you went from not being able to read and write, and in ten months you were you were functioning. You know. Yes. Yes. It's it's pretty incredible how far we can come with the right amount of love and yes. patience, isn't it? That's it's, what you. It, it sounds like that's what you do. That is what we do, and I feel like if if you can give a human being that unconditional love, and you can promise to see them in the light and see them as whole, then, you know, you've, you've given them 
the best you can give them and, and then give them all of the tools. So everything at Safe Harbor is everything that I've worked very, very hard to get on my own and to manage to, you know, for my own recovery process and what I've found that most people need. So uh-huh. that's, um, you know. And you have, you've obviously gone from the one house that you started with. How many houses do you have now? And exactly where is it? It's in Costa Mesa, California. Okay. Um, in Orange County. And um, that's where I began and that's where I still am. There's, there's 14 homes. Um, and there's three different treatment centers. One treatment center is for young adults, um, 18 to about 22. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second treatment center is uh, called Magellan. That's for eating disorders and codependency. Mm-hmm. Our third treatment center is um, called Capella, and that's for trauma and addiction. They're all for addiction, but, you know, a lot of us come with, um, you know, secondary addictions, and so if we don't address the whole person, then we're really not going to do, help them in the long, the long haul. We, we might be able to arrest their activity of addiction temporarily, but we're not going to be able to help them really find freedom. Right. And can people find all this information on www.safeharborhouse.com, correct? Yes, they can. And they can find all that information. And I, it's really incredible to see. I've seen it on the website here. Which one? Which house was the first little house? Do you have that pictured on the website? The first house was um, we had to we had to move from that house because it was too small. So we don't have that house anymore. But our oh. second house is um, uh, now a sober living house because we have seven sober living houses um, because I like the girls, well, we call them continuum of care houses because I like the girls to stay for about a year, you know, a minimum of 90 days, but most of the girls end up staying about a year because they find fellowship and community that is for the first time in their lives blissful. Um, They find each other to be like sisters and the fellowship to be so strong and, and the community and the it's just such a beautiful thing, so they stick together. It sounds like an incredible place. Uh, again, we're talking to Velvet Mangan, and uh, she's the CEO of Safe Harbor, uh, Safe Harbor House, and we will be back in just a minute. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. West Bridge Community Services. West Bridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. West Bridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at West Bridge Community Services. West Bridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. 
You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back. John McAndrew, and we've been talking with Velvet Mangan. Um, founder of Safe Harbor Treatment Center for Women, and Velvet shared with us her personal story and uh, what led her to start Safe Harbor. And she told us about uh, all these angels in her life that were important in her journey. And she started with one little house with four women, and now it's there's over a hundred participants at at Safe Harbor and. Uh, it's really become a community, and uh, I can't tell you. It just sounds like, uh, you know, men could probably use this too, couldn't they, Velvet? Oh, thank you. <laughs> I mean, we all could. I I want to ask you a question, and if there was a, a young woman out there today listening to the program, and she's still struggling, and she's heard you talk about your struggles, and uh, let's assume that she has these problems with self-esteem and doubt and addiction and uh, mental health issues. And if if she called you today and you picked up the phone, well, uh, what would you ta- tell her, and how would you talk to her? Well, first, uh, you know, um, love is core, so it would be um, coming from a place of seeing her perfect, whole, and complete, and knowing that <clears throat> that the only thing that's going on in her is that she believes, you know, the tapes in her head, and um, that I would compassionately, lovingly express to her that, um, that she can do anything, that she can be anything, that there's nothing in her that's keeping her from that except for her belief about what it is that she thinks she's worthy of, and... Um, I would tell her that she can do anything. Uh huh. Yeah. And how do how do they get to Safe Harbor if if someone's in Connecticut or Pittsburgh or? Well, interesting how people find us. It's really by divine appointment. Um, uh. It's interesting. It's um, they find us from all over the world actually, and uh, sometimes they'll just be googling, or sometimes a friend of theirs or. Uh, you know, because alumni is really strong at Safe Harbor. Um, so it's, you know, we have an incredible, impeccable reputation based on the other women that have gone through Safe Harbor um, and their families. So it's it's something like that. And then a lot of treatment centers refer to us because of the special needs uh, department that we really focus on because what we do is so specific and they really feel that their clients need 90 days to a year of continuous um, insight to their conditions, um, you know, so that they can lose the idea of their conditions and gain, you know, the freedoms that they need to experience. Mm -hmm. Do you have a phone number that you could give us? Yes, it's Mm -hmm. 949-645-645. One zero two six. And again, you're in Orange County. We're in Orange County, Costa Mesa. So it's it's um, really close to Newport Beach. If anybody's listening, Laguna Beach, Newport Beach, Huntington Beach. 
Um, and our community are, is amazing. Our 12-step community, it's filled with just um, sea of young people who are excited and enthusiastic about being, you know, in recovery. And it just makes for this whole experience to feel like they they have life, not death. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's so important to feel like your whole life has just begun, not that your whole life is over. And you have programs um, that uh, get them into the work field. Is that is that correct? And some training opportunities, and uh, so that they start to work while they're living there. Their case managers work really, okay. really close with them, and it's um, it's really like um, an individual basis because a lot of our girls end up going back to school. And so we help them get back into school, we help them get jobs, we help them with resumes, we help them uh, just with the, the, just the, the fear, because it's uh-huh. really scary trying to get a job, um, it, and we kind of guide them and direct them through the entire process. Wow. And Velvet, your, your involvement there on a daily basis, um, how much are you there and... Uh... I'm assuming quite a bit, but you also do a lot of outreach, and and I know you've been around the country telling people about Safe Harbor. And um, how did you get onto Dr. Phil? Well, um, I got onto Dr. Phil through a friend. Excuse me, um, a friend of mine who needed to uh, have a, a woman's treatment center for Dr. Phil because um, he needed to have um, a women's treatment center. And so then I met Dr. Phil, and they really, really liked what we did, and they, you know, came out and checked us out. And uh, it was quite the uh, process before we could get, actually get on the show. And mm-hmm. um, But I was recommended by a friend, and um, then they came out to decide whether or not we'd be appropriate. And... They love us, and they use us quite a bit because we're so specific in that we're, you know, we do what we do. Uh, I think he finds us a favorite favorite for him. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. So you're not only a resource for the women that need help, and what I was getting at was um, you're also a tremendous resource for other women around the country that are, you know, either starting programs or in the process of that or even have had programs running for a while. Yes. Do you, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you have a lot of visitors and people that come out to see it, and are you there a lot? I, are you, you sitting know, on the front porch? And... I'm, you know, for years and years and years I sat on the front porch. <laughs> and I was on the front porch and in the firing lines. Just recently um, I've done more outreach, um, and I have recently been less and less, um, on the front lines, just because uh, it seems as if uh, Safe Harbor needs me to be more communicative um, and more um, serving in a broader way. Mm-hmm. So I've just been traveling a lot and been more of service uh, to young women throughout, even ones that don't go to Safe Harbor. Right. You Are know. there any events coming up that we should know about or that you'd like for us to know about? Well... Um, I am going to be going to Boston for a Young People's Educational Consultant Conference, and I'll probably be speaking there, but um, 
those are the kind of things that we do, the events mm-hmm. that we're doing. And then I'll be in Palm Springs, speaking in Palm Springs in June, um, just trying to, you know, um, one of the crises that are happening is that there's such a significant um, uh, number of women that aren't getting sober. And uh, one of the things that I've done is I did a real clear um, statistic uh, outcomes study and found that most women are prescribed medication by doctors and told they're, that they are alcoholic, I mean, that they're told that they're depressive and anxiety disorder and not told that they have an alcohol or drug problem. So they're right. misdiagnosed and so they're sent home and diagnosed just with the alcohol, you know, with with the uh, anxiety disorder. And so that's one of the big crises that is happening. And so our statistics for women getting sober haven't changed much since the 70s. Oh, boy. Yeah. So I just have really, and it's been really strong in my heart in the last year to try to um, educate the community and, and uh, the people that, you know, we have to get our young women out of the closets um, and because there's 6.9 million of them suffering right now that aren't even... Um, attempting sobriety, 2% of that 6.9 million have even gone to recovery or gone to treatment. Well, it's really a message that that needs to... What is the best way to get a hold of you if someone has a question or uh, would would like for you to come and speak or anything? That would be the number of 949-645-1026. Okay, great. Well, your story... um, how long has Safe Harbor been open? That's probably a good way to ask that question. Since 1993, December of 1993. Wow. Yeah, that was the first house. That's when it first became open, and then it's evolved into treatment and licensure. And um, But I never have lost my my original core, which is the sober living. I still do sober living and believe in it really highly. So after they've done their treatment, which what I was finding when I just had sober living was girls were coming into my sober living home and who hadn't been dealing with their eating disorders, hadn't been dealing with any of their issues. So I had to create a treatment center. Well, Velvet, thank you so, so much for everything that you've shared. And I hope people have those numbers and uh, reach out to you. And I know we're going to be seeing and hearing more from you as a leader in this particular part of the movement, and we thank you again for being on One Hour at a Time. Oh, thank you so much. It was a, it was a blessing to talk to you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. appreciate you joining us today for one hour at a time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week.